All right, got your Bibles ready. Let's go ahead and turn to uh, the book of Ephesians to begin with. Then um, you'll hold a finger there and we'll flip over to Galatians. We'll be in chapter 5 of both books, but let's stand as we open God's Word to Ephesians 5 and uh, start reading with verse 15. We're talking about the Spirit-filled home, and uh, this is the passage that contextualized what we talked about last week. And, and there's a reason for me doing that. You may say, well, last week we dealt with a part that really addresses the family, but we can't take it out of context. I want us to go back and see a little bit of what was said beforehand because it's vitally important. When we talk about the Spirit-filled home, it says, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Some people would say, man, the the times are so evil, I don't know why anybody would want to get married or have kids or anything like that. But I'm telling you, Christians ought to be the ones that are shining a light and making the difference. He says, so don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And Father, we pray that you would help us to understand uh, the significance, the importance, the the fact that we just cannot escape that we need your Holy Spirit empowerment to be the families you've called us to be. Lord, for healing and restoration, but also for vision and passion for what you've called us to We pray all this in the name of Jesus, Lord. Guide us, teach us today, and it's in your name we pray, amen. You can be seated this morning. I uh, was told by somebody after a worship service here at Trinity, uh, somebody on the way out when I I was talking about the family uh, years ago, the story of a millionaire, and if you're the one who told me this story, you can let me know later, but it was a story of a millionaire who was from Florida and had a big... um, uh, a, a, a big gator farm, if that's what you call it, right? Is that the right word, Jordan? It's a gator farm. And a lot of alligators, right? And so, um, and one day he had decided, he, he also had a, a beautiful daughter he had not allowed to date or anything, and a lot of men were interested in his daughter. And so he gathered all these eligible bachelors, and they were standing on side of this lake that was full of alligators there. And, um, he, he, he stood on, on the other side, and he said, I'll tell you what. He said, I, I'm going to give a, a million dollars and permission to marry my daughter to the first one of you that crosses this lake of alligators and gets over to this side with me. Knowing in his mind he didn't think it could be done, before he could blink, A young man hit the water. He was swimming. He was on top of alligators. He was under alligators. He had lost his breath. They thought he had lost his life a couple of times. He popped up. He comes out the other side, jumps up, shakes himself off, and the man who owned the alligators and who had this beautiful daughter said, son, I didn't think that could be done, but you've earned it. Uh, You are going to get to marry my daughter and have great wealth. And he said, listen, I didn't come here for your wealth or for your daughter, but I'll tell you one thing, I'm going to kill whoever pushed me. (laughs) Sometimes we find ourselves 
in this thing called marriage and family, and we're like, how did I get here? Who pushed me into this? Now, if you feel like you were pushed into it, please don't tell your spouse right now I feel like I was pushed into this. Um, But you find yourself sometimes just trying to keep your head above water, just trying to escape the gators, right? Just trying to escape sometimes literally the demons, trying to escape anything that's coming at you, and you're going, how did I get on this ride, and and when can I get off of this ride? And we start looking for a way to catch our breath. Last week, we looked at a, a famous text on marriage, and it had to do with husbands loving your wives sacrificially as Christ loved the church, and you're, you're thinking, well, that's not possible. I'm not Jesus. I can't have his kind of love. And, and ladies, you were told to show the same kind of Christ-like submission as Christ did to the Father as the church and us the Lordship of Christ. You were challenged to show that kind of respectful submission, graciously submitting to the spiritual leadership of your husband, and you're saying, but my husband's not Jesus, and that's not possible. And, and that whole relationship we talked about is a cycle that sacrificial service and, and respectful submission that grows and brings your marriage to life, and you're saying, but Pastor Robbie, that all sounds good, but you're talking about theoretical impossibilities. And if you left here with a sense of hopelessness, good. You're like, what? You didn't expect us to apply what we heard last week? Listen, if you heard that and thought it was impossible, then you heard right. See, see, the Christian life is not difficult. The Christian life is impossible on your own. Without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That's why I don't get so upset with the world and, and, and try to push Christian ethics off on a lost world and get mad when lost people act lost because the bottom line is if they have not the Spirit of Christ, how can they discern spiritual things? And how can they have the empowerment to live out their Christian faith if they haven't embraced a Christian faith? And so sometimes we're trying to push our ethics. Now, listen, I, I, I do believe that the law is the schoolmaster that points us to our need for Jesus. And so we still want to communicate Christian standards, but we need to understand the importance of faith in Christ and the Spirit-filled life and the Spirit-filled home. Don't think of the Spirit-filled life in terms this morning of just what happens at this church when we're gathered on the Lord's Day. Think of what it looks like in your home. Think of what it looks like in your relationships with the rest of your family, starting with your spouse if you're married this morning. What is the Spirit-filled life? Well, obviously it begins at salvation. Romans 8, 9 says, if you have not the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to Christ. I don't know any other way to say it than to say that if you aren't saved, you do not have the Spirit of Christ living inside of you. If you are saved, according to Romans 8, 9, then you do have the Spirit of Christ living inside of you. But that does not mean you walk in the fullness of the Spirit. And the Spirit-filled life has much to do with a walk. I do believe that the problem with a lot of families, uh, the issue with a lot of marriages today is that one or both, and and unfortunately many times it's one, but sometimes it's both, uh, of the husband and the wife are unregenerate. They've never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. They haven't resolved that issue. And so when their hearts are not in tune with Jesus, they will never be in tune with each other. But Colossians 2.16 says, just as you accepted Jesus, just as you received him, it says, walk in him. 
So we have to walk out this thing called salvation. How do we do that? By walking in the Spirit. We'll talk about this this morning. And seeing that as something that is 24-7 every day, Jesus being the head of my life. And listen, when the wife and the husband can both come together and say, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. He is my source and my strength, so I'm not putting that pressure on you. Jesus is my everything, and I am totally dependent upon him as my source. Then together, and then as a family, you can understand what it means to have Jesus as the head of your household. Jesus is ultimately Lord of the Spirit-filled life. It's about the Lordship of Christ being empowered by the Holy Spirit. So what do we do about that? Well, the verses we just read a moment ago, we begin, number one, by cultivating a desire for the filling of the Holy Spirit in your home. say, wait a minute, I thought that's just kind of between me and God, right? The Holy Spirit fills me. Yes. But do you cultivate a desire in your home for the spirit-filled life? Or is that just something you've compartmentalized and said, my Sunday go to church, that's my Jesus time. And then, you know, we just kind of get in the flesh the rest of the week. If we totally blow it in the flesh, which you will, then we'll get right again next Sunday. Or do you say, I want to walk in the spirit? He says, pay careful attention how you walk, verse 15. The walk has to do with a relationship. Don't try to complicate the spirit-filled life to more than a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I go to the Father, I send the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will be the omnipresence of Christ, right? It's Jesus in you. As a result of that, you're making the most of your time. The days are evil. You don't want your family to give in to the culture of the days, so don't be foolish, but understand the Lord's will. Learn to walk in his ways. Don't get drunk with wine, which he says leads to reckless action, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't go after what this world has to offer, but pursue Jesus. And this phrase here, be filled with the Spirit, you've heard me say this before, in the Greek, it it is an active, continual concept of keep on being filled. Often, and we, we spoke of this in our college life group this morning, often we'll talk about salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit as some meaningful things that happen in our life because we can point back to a day or a time that something happened. And that's wonderful. We need an encounter with God that changes our life. But we don't talk as much about the continual feeling of the Holy Spirit because that's daily accountability, That's something that you have to do again and again and again. Keep on being filled. It's not once filled, always filled, folks. You keep on being filled like a a cup that leaks that's got to stay under the fountain. You've got to stay filled with the, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so how do you walk in him as a spirit-filled Christian? Well, you walk, first of all, with an awareness of his presence, an awareness of his presence. Do you live your life with an awareness of his presence? And, and when you walk into your home, is there an awareness of his presence? Listen, it doesn't mean that every time uh, somebody walks into your home that it's just like walking into church and you're, you know, you, you've always got gospel music playing and you've always got somebody with open Bible teaching, Bible study. In your own. Those are wonderful things that should happen from time to time in your home. But there should be an awareness of God's presence. When somebody walks into your home, they should be aware of the presence of God 
in that place, aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit in that place. So Colossians 1.27, God wanted to make known to you the glorious wealth of this mystery that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So people should see in you and in your home that there is a hope that doesn't permeate any other home. It's Christ in you and Christ in your home, the hope of glory. It's his spirit bearing witness with your spirit, Romans 8, 16, that you're a child of God and that when you're in the home, you don't forget whose child you are. You don't have to be reminded by the preacher on Sunday morning because your home is a place where you're constantly aware of his presence, his spirit reminding you who you are and whose you are. Corporate worship is great, and I believe that families should be involved in a local church, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, Hebrews 10, 25, as part of family worship, you're involved in a church body. That's corporate worship, but worship should permeate the home. Speaking to one another, verse 19, in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music to the Lord in your heart. That's not just an hour of praise and worship on Sunday morning. That is a lifestyle that becomes the Word of God saturating your heart and your life. Going back to the passage we looked at last week that followed this in Ephesians 5, how does Jesus sanctify the home? How does he sanctify the church? By the washing of the water of the Word in your life. He takes the Word of God, and as it saturates you, it begins to cleanse you. And so your home then becomes permeated with the Word of God. So that kind of moves us from not only an awareness of His present, but, but the second way we're cultivating a desire for the filling of the Holy Spirit in our home is that we're available to the truth. We're available to the truth. It's the Spirit of God that leads us into all truth. When Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would sanctify us, He prayed in John 17, He said, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. Again, it's important in corporate worship. But what about this? What about the, the famous Old Testament passage on the home? As Israel was getting ready to go into the promised land, and they were to kind of rehearse the law. Deuteronomy means second law. And they were kind of going over the principles and precepts of God. Moses was getting them ready. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. How does he follow that? He says, and these laws would be on your heart. God's words, the words that they were being commanded, he says, God's going to put these on your heart, hide these in your heart. He says, repeat them to your children. Look, when they rise up, when they lie down, when you're sitting around the house, when you're walking along the road, he says, put them on the doorposts and the gates. Scripture on the doorposts and the gates. Listen, that's like saying, in your house, by the way, the door probably is the refrigerator door, right? Have some scripture. Uh, on your walls, have scripture. Have family conversations as you walk along the way. Well, we don't walk to get everywhere we go like they did, but when you get in the car and you're headed down the road, have conversations about biblical principles and precepts. You can do that. As a, Last night, my wife and I were talking through the fruit of the Spirit in the car headed down the road. And so you can do that in the car. You can do that. You can put the phones away, right? You can, uh, I know it's like, man, I handle my cell phone to entertain them for a little while. That's great. But talk about the things of God as well. Let the Word of God permeate all the patterns of your life and life situations. 
talk about how God's way is better than the world's way. And here's what the Bible says. Kids come home and they're frustrated with that teacher or they're frustrated with that bully at school. Talk to them about what the Bible teaches concerning how they should respond in those situations. Equip them for those moments. Your spouse comes home from work and he or she has run into some difficulties. Begin to pray and say, how does the Word of God instruct us to respond in this situation? And so the Spirit-filled home is a home where we're aware of His presence, we're available to His truth. Remember James 1, 21 and 22? It says, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. When I read that, and I'm like, yeah, the Word of God is able to save your souls. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so we hear the gospel, we put our faith in Jesus Christ, and we're saved, right? We give our heart and our life to Jesus as a result of hearing the Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the problem with that passage in James, and our ladies are studying James right now on Wednesday nights, but the problem with interpreting that about just your salvation is this. James was talking to Christians, He was talking to people who were already saved, and he was saying the Word of God is not only able to save you from the penalty of sin, it's able to save you from the power of sin in your life. And so let that Word permeate every pattern of life so that your family begins to live with the power to do what you can never do in the flesh. And that includes husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church, and wives showing that gracious, respectful submission to his spiritual leadership in the Lord. Both, verse 21, don't forget this part, men, as you jump down and see where it says wives submit, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. How do you do that? It's Holy Spirit empowerment that says you're now empowered to put the other first. And then here's the simple part of the spirit-filled life and the spirit-filled home, folks. Ask for it. Just simply ask for it. The spirit-filled life is continued the way salvation began. Remember, as you received Christ, so walk in him. How did you receive Christ? Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You came to a place in your life where you recognized Jesus Christ, came, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose victoriously from the grave, and when you turn from sin and self and say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive my sins. I ask you to come into my life and to be my Lord and to be my Savior, and I I place my trust in you completely, and by faith you believe that he did all of those things, and you ask him And he comes in. He's not a tease. You call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. In the same way, we need to be asking in faith for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you received of God. So you need to be asking for him to fill you completely. In Luke 11, Jesus said, you know, if if earthly fathers... If they're going to give us things because they love us, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so, yes, you can point back to a time and say, Pastor, I'm saved, sanctified, baptized in the Holy Spirit, but are you today walking in the Spirit? That might mean 
you start with a quiet time, and by lunchtime, something has happened that, that has so rattled your day that you need to pull aside, you need to find some time alone with God and say, Lord Jesus, I need you to fill me afresh and anew right now. That may mean you're faced with an obstacle. Your spouse has said something that has caused you to want to get into the flesh in a hurry. Right? Never happens, right? Never happens in my home. My spouse never says anything that would want to make me get into flesh, right? Is that what we, listen, at that moment we say, oh, Holy Spirit of the living God, fill me afresh and anew that I might respond like Jesus would respond in whatever situation I find myself in. We have not because we ask not. Do we really want the best? Do we want the best for our family? Do we want the best for our marriage? Do we want God's best? Do we even know what that is? Do we understand what God's trying to tell us? We need the Holy Spirit to understand what each other are trying to tell us. I, I heard about a, uh, a man who knew his wife was about to celebrate her 60th birthday. And so a few days ahead of time, he said, baby, what do, what do you want when you turn 60? And she said, I want to be six again. I said, six? So the morning of her birthday, he went and he woke her up, and he said, baby, we're going to the theme park. And he took her down to this theme park, and they ate all kinds of junk food, and they rode all kinds of roller coasters and merry-go-rounds and you name it. They just, they made a day. He treated her like she was a six-year-old. He was determined to give her the time of her life. And at the end of the day, she was completely exhausted, completely nauseated. She said, I have a bad headache. I can't do this kind of thing anymore. What were you thinking and he said, you said you wanted to be at six, right? And she said, I was talking dress size. <laughs> Do we communicate clearly what we want? We need to ask for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, I want you more than anything else. At any age, at any time, whether you're celebrating two-year anniversary, 10-year anniversary, 20, 30, 40, 50-year anniversaries to say, we want to be a spirit-filled home that influences generations to come. Secondly, this morning, we need to learn to commit to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this is going to be a little challenging this morning when we look at this because you can't think of the spirit-filled life as something that is passive, Yes, there's a yieldedness to it. We have to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit of the living God, come take control. But I do not believe God created us as robots to begin with, nor do I believe he turns us into robots, but he wants us by faith to cooperate with what he's doing in our lives. And so he does not violate our free will at salvation, nor does he violate our free will when it comes to the Spirit-filled life. He wants us to make conscious choices to walk in the Spirit and to display the fruit of the Spirit. God is sovereign in salvation. He is sovereign at his work in our life, but he sovereignly has chosen as an almighty God to work in cooperation with the will of man. So he calls us to put our decision into the process. Why is that important? Because in the spirit-filled life, you're going to have to make choices every day to walk in the spirit. 
So I want you to flip over to Galatians, a parallel passage to this in, Felicia, uh, in, in Ephesians. Um, so just kind of flip back, probably just a couple of pages in your Bible, to Galatians chapter 5. And let's begin by looking at verses 16 through 18. 16 through 18. He says, I say then, walk by the Spirit. Walk aware, asking for the Spirit, right? Walk, staying available to the truth, as we talked about a moment ago. He says, and if you do this, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, in the English, we miss something here because in the Greek, it's a double negative. Now, the Greek language doesn't work exactly like the English language. I could ask some of our English teachers here that in English, if you have a double negative, it equals a what? A positive, right? And so we get it wrong in the South all, all the time. When we say, I ain't never going to do that, that means I am going to do that. A double negative makes a positive. But in the Greek, a double negative does not make a positive. In the Greek, a double negative makes an emphatic. Makes it emphatic. No way. And so there's a double negative here that says, if you are walking in the Spirit, while you are walking in the Spirit, there is no way you can at the same time carry out the desire of the flesh. You can't do it. You make a choice each day to walk in the Spirit and, and throughout the day to walk in the Spirit, and that's a choice at that moment when you're walking in the Spirit to not be in the flesh. You can't be walking in the Spirit carrying out the desires of the flesh at the same time. He says it just can't happen. The flesh, for the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. There are, they are, these are opposed to each other, Right, So there's a war here so that you don't do what you want, he says. You are letting the flesh win the war when you make that choice. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law or the law's obligations. Now you are free in Christ to do what God called you to do. So you want to live with an awareness of the Holy Spirit's promptings in your life. You want to be asking for that filling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit begins to lead you, and as the Holy Spirit prompts and leads you and takes that truth you made yourself available to and the principles of God that you have learned by being available to the truth, now the Holy Spirit will take those and say, then here's how you ought to live in light of that. I'm going to empower you to do that when you choose to so do that. But you still have to choose to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. He talks about the works of the flesh. If you choose not to walk in the Spirit, but you choose to walk in the flesh, you give in to the flesh. The works of the flesh are obvious, and this describes the majority of homes in America today. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy. Why is there jealousy within the marriage? Because of the flesh. Somebody's walking in the flesh. Why, why are there outbursts of anger? We get in the flesh. Selfish ambitions. The old country song, I, I want to talk about me, right? Dissensions. Factions. Factions, you know, playing the kids against each other and against mom and dad. Envy. Drunkenness. Carousing. Anything similar about which I tell you in advance as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, when this becomes your practice, if this becomes the accepted pattern, the accepted lifestyle, and you can study this in 1 John as well, then it is a strong indication that your salvation isn't authentic and you're not really a Christian home. And that goes back to the heart of the problem is that you need to come to the place where you've submitted to the lordship of Christ 
and come to know him. But then you have to make a conscious effort as a Christian to say, I'm going to walk in the Spirit so that these fleshly activities do not become descriptive of my household, my marriage. You're doing away with those things. What's the opposite? The opposite is the fruit of the Spirit. The word fruit means evidence in Scripture. So many times we want to make evidence of the Spirit-filled life all about an event that took place, or we want to make the spiritual gifts. And folks, I believe in the spiritual gifts and believe we should operate in the spiritual gifts, but we know the spiritual gifts can be faked. Because Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all these signs and wonders in your name? And he said, yeah, depart from me. I never knew you. He says, you can fake the gifts. Paul says it's possible to speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love. But love is the fruit of the Spirit, right? And so he's saying, you know, the gifts can be faked, but there's something that can't be faked, and that's fruit. Fruit means evidence. You want to know what the evidence of the Spirit-filled life, you want to know what the evidence of the Spirit-filled home is? It's right here. He says, here's the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Here's the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your home. As you're walking in the Spirit, you know what you're going to choose to do? Let's look at them. Let's list them. Number one, you'll choose to love. You'll choose to love. 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul said, listen, it's all about love. He begins to break down and give a description of what should be in the Christian marriage and should be in the Christian home. And a lot of those attributes are other elements of the fruit of the Spirit we read right here in this passage. We choose to love. We choose to love with agape, self-sacrificing love. The Holy Spirit empowers that. You choose to walk in it. Secondly, we choose to be joyful. What? Choose to be joyful. If it's fruit, don't I just say, Lord, zap me and give me joy, right? To rejoice is a choice. What does Philippians 4, 4 say? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. When you choose to rejoice regardless of the circumstances, I'm not talking about giddiness or happiness. Listen, I am grateful. My house is filled with laughter. If you know me, you know my family. Our home is filled with laughter. I love to hear the laughter of my wife. I love to hear the laughter of my children. Our home is filled with laughter. But you know we go through seasons of grief, too. We go through some difficult circumstances in life. We, we go through some things that make it hard to laugh, things you can't laugh about. Don't we all? But while the laughter may be missing from time to time, the joy is still there. Joy is much deeper than that. Joy is expressed in the hope that Christ has to offer. See, I asked Tina last night when we were having this conversation, I said, what's the opposite of joy then? What is the opposite of joy? And her answer was not sadness or grief. Her answer was hopelessness. That's the opposite of joy. Hopelessness. So joy brings a hope that endures any situation. Choose third, peace. You want to experience that for yourself. The word peace means the absence of agitation, right? And so when you're rattled in life, you're told in Philippians 4, 6, actually, 
right, to pray. And as we pray, as we come before him with prayer and thanksgiving, it says the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. And Christ Jesus' peace brings that stability rather than an agitated spirit. But you also bring peace into your home by not being the agitator, (laughs) by not being the one who's always trying to stir everything up and make everyone else feel uncomfortable. Men, if you walk into your house and you think that you need to have such a tone that will cause your wife and your kids to walk on eggshells all the time, you're not bringing peace into that home. And we're supposed to bring a a stability, a peace through our confidence in him and through the prayers that we pray over our family. Choose to be patient. The word patient here in the Greek, macrothumia, means to put under the heat for a long time, right? Really, it means slow to heat up. Slow to heat up. It's the opposite of being quick-tempered, the opposite of the outburst that we read about in verse 20. Slow to move in that direction. You need the Holy Spirit. And when you sense that coming on, when you sense, I'm about to blow a fuse here, Again, none of y'all ever struggle with that. I, I, I get, when, when you get to that place where you're like, I'm about to blow a fuse, you better stop and say, oh, Holy Spirit of living God, fill me now. And pray it sincerely. Pray it sincerely, not jokingly for everybody else to hear, Jesus, you better fill me now before I hurt somebody. You know, I mean, seriously pray, oh, Holy Spirit, fill me now because I want to bring patience into my home Choose kindness, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. I say it at almost every wedding I do, but you will never have to forgive your spouse in a way that will cost you more than what it costs God the Father in sending his son to forgive you. And so kindness. Colossians 4.6 says, let your words be with grace seasoned with salt, so that the words you speak are like a gracious gift that you're giving those around you. That is a spirit-filled home. Choose goodness, idea of replacing harm with benevolence, being that person who brings a blessing into the life. Listen, the Hebrew blessing in the Old Testament was the idea of, of giving a verbal affirmation, an appropriate, meaningful touch, To be able to tell your kids, I love you, I'm proud of you, God's going to do something wonderful in your life. To tell your spouse, I love you, I'm proud of you, God's going to use you and and, and us as a team in a great way. Choose faith and faithfulness. This word can be translated either as faith or as faithfulness. So it's being both trusting and trustworthy. And so you, you need to show both confidence and transparency. Confidence, you have faith, love, 1 Corinthians 13, believes all things, hopes all things, right, endures all things, it never fails. And so you show faith in and confidence in your spouse, but you live a transparent life, earning trust with them. And then choose to be gentle. In some translations it says meekness. The word has to do with strength under control. Never think of meekness as weakness. Meekness is strength under control. When I think of that phrase, strength under control, I I think of it as like, you know, the the Christmas parade in Comer when a Corvette is driving 10 miles per hour. That is strength under control. Being meek is to say, I'm getting in line with God's plan, and I'm laying my passions, my desires for self aside and choosing him for my family. 
and then choose to be disciplined or to have self-control. That's mastery over sensual passions. And so that's guarding and protecting your relationship with your spouse as well as guarding and protecting your home and your family. All of these are important choices that you make every day. It's not once filled, always filled. This fruit is something we have to choose. (laughs) We want to keep the fruit fresh, you know. How many of you have ever decided at the beginning of the week or on payday, right, like most people, and you go to the grocery store and you say, this week, this week we're going to eat healthy. How many of you have ever made that decision? You go to the grocery store and in your mind you're like, I'm going to walk past the bad food and this week we're going to eat healthy. Raise your hand if you've done that before. Now, I want you to be real honest. How many of you have been like, we've been in my household sometimes, that at the end of that week, (laughs) you're throwing away some fruits and veggies, right? There's, I mean, there's, you know, there was the ball game, so you grabbed something at the fast food place. There was something else came up, so, you you know, you went to the restaurant. Life was crazy, and then at the end of the week, there's fuzzy stuff growing on the asparagus, right? The fruit has started to stink, the bananas are brown. We're the only family that's done that. Anybody else? You know what I'm talking about? And you're like, and, and good, healthy food cost, right? And it would be so nice, and, and y'all can share this word throughout Madison County and beyond, but it would be so nice if we all had a grocery store within a two-minute walk of the house so that when you are ready for fresh fruit, you just go and you get it, you know? Sometimes our spiritual fruit has a little mold on it. It's gone bad. We haven't, listen, we had good intention on Sunday morning, right? We're going to be healthy this week. We're going to walk in the Spirit this week. But by the end of the week, we feel like we've thrown the things of God away. We let, we let them grow old and stale in our life, in our marriage, in our family. Start every day saying, I need fresh fruit in my life today, Lord Jesus. Fresh fruit for today. Make that choice every day to walk in that, to share that with others. Would you bow your head with me?